So if you would, open up to Proverbs chapter 9. And let's just go to the Lord one more time. God, we thank you so much for your word. And we just uh, want to sit before you and settle ourselves and just learn from you. Like Mary did, the more important thing was to hear your word and to not be so busy. So God, help us just to do that now by uh, just by your spirit. We ask that you were able to go forth and that God, you'd minister to all those around us as well. Bring them to you before it's too late, God. In Jesus' name, amen. So Proverbs chapter 9. Again, uh, Proverbs. It's good. It's wisdom. It's wisdom, and we need it. We need it. I was talking with uh, someone that I've known since they were a little kid. He's not so little anymore. He's in his 20s. And we were talking about some financial stuff. And I'm not wise financially by any stretch of the imagination. Um, But I dropped my microphone. And he said... uh, you know, how long has it taken you to, to learn all this? And I said, 41 years, because it's taken me this long to get to this part of my life. And every day that goes by, I need to learn more and more. I need to focus on that wisdom. But we need it. And I think we need it most when we think we don't need it at all. And we need to apply it most when we already know it. When we already know the thing to do, what we need to do is actually do it. And sometimes we, we go to God and say, God, help me. I need to know what to do. And he says, I already told you what to do. <laughs> you just need to actually do it. Um, you know, turn away from that sin or apply that wise principle. And hopefully tonight we'll pick up some more wise principles. But Proverbs is mostly that of Solomon and a few other guys. Um, some wisdom from them. We see Ecclesiastes as well as a great book. I'm, I'm reading that myself in the mornings. That's from Solomon. I'm sure some of these things Solomon picked up along the way from his father, David, maybe from his mother. Uh, and a lot of it is really observational. You know, I went to UPS, the UPS store yesterday to uh, send back my old work computer. And uh, there's a lady next to me and she's dealing with the one guy and then I'm dealing with this other guy. And she says to them, is both your names really Wyatt? Because they both had the same name tag on. And the guy that was helping me out laughed and said, no, my name is not Wyatt. Uh, and I wanted to, I, I kind of chuckled and looked at her like, you know, that's a good eye. I wish I had said something. Uh, to it, but really I could appreciate the observational awareness that this lady had to see both their name tags and realize that they're both wearing the same name tag and they're not who they say they are. I want to say that I I was tired, I guess, but I want to say the guy's like, if you're going to wear the same name tag, you need to separate a little bit and put someone between you. So no one would know that you're wearing the same name tag, but it was observational. She learned that one of them was Wyatt and one of them was not Wyatt uh, just by looking and observing and paying attention. And I think a lot of us can learn a lot of things by just looking and observing and paying attention. And Solomon does a lot of that. A lot of these things, Solomon says uh, in Ecclesiastes as well, where he just goes out and he says, I built me gardens. I bought slaves. They had people in my house. They were born to them. I did this. I did that. And I got to the end of it and I said, it's all vanity. Someone else is going to end up taking it from me anyway. So all I learned is that a man should do good and enjoy the work of his labor. This is the gift of God. That he goes around, and a lot of it is observational wisdom, trying things out. And not that we need to try everything to know if we like it or not. That Sometimes that's good. We should try new foods and different things. But other times, you know, like we saw in a video the other day, I don't need to put my head under a truck and have it run over to know I don't like it, right? People will use that saying, well, how do you know if you like it if you haven't tried it to rationalize doing things that aren't good? 
Um, you know, again, it doesn't always apply to every situation, but I think sometimes also, at least myself, I learn the hard way. I end up learning and not knowing not to do something by doing it the wrong way first. I'm rebuilding this Civic, uh, and uh, I didn't take a picture of the wiring harness for the door, and so it took me like a half hour to just try and wiring it different ways through and get my hands all cut up until I finally got it close enough to where I think, okay, this is where the factory had it so the door panel would fit on. And I had to learn the hard way of doing it several times. If I had just taken a picture, I would have said, oh, okay, and it would have been done in five minutes, but no, it took me 30 minutes. But I think Proverbs is here and the Bible is here that we wouldn't have to learn things the hard way, that the really wise way to learn things is to learn from others' mistakes or to learn from it being written down already and applying and saying, well, Solomon tried it, so I guess I don't have to try it. Solomon says this, so I should apply it. Or God says this, so I should do it, and I don't have to learn the hard way. We don't have to, we can avoid all that heartbreak, like Proverbs talks about guarding your heart for out of it flow the issues of life. That if we would just take that to heart, we would never have to know what it's like to have a heartbreak, um, you know, within reason, right? Of course, people could hurt us, but at least we're not going to do things that, we know are foolish and learn the hard way. But with that, let's get into Proverbs chapter 9. It says, Wisdom has built her house. Remember, we talked about wisdom that was personified as a woman, and God was using all these examples with her. And he says, Wisdom has built her house. She has hewn out her seven pillars. She has killed her beasts. She has mixed her wine. She has also furnished her table. So she's gotten the, the wild game. She's gotten the wine going. She's got the table all nice and decorated. I love when the table gets decorated around Thanksgiving and Christmas and birthdays. Ash always decorates for the kids on birthdays. She has sent out her maidens. She cries out from the highest place of the city. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. And as for him who wants understanding, she says to him, come eat of my bread and drink of the wine, which I have mixed forsake foolishness and live and go in the way of understanding that wisdom doesn't hide herself. We saw that before. She stands on the rooftop. She goes to the gates of the city. She's having a feast. She's preparing a party. It's not a secret one with a secret entrance. You know, like some of these highfalutin clubs I've never been to, but you would hear about in movies or on TV where you have to know somebody to know somebody to get in and the secret entrance, you know, it's not on the, on the main road. Hers is different. Hers is the table's set, the food's ready, the drinks are ready to go, and she sends out people into the, into the streets to invite others to come. That This is the way for wisdom. All you have to do if you want wisdom, she says, is come eat at wisdom's table. If you, wanna, if you want wisdom in your life, all you have to do is seek it. All you have to do is pursue it. All you have to do is look for it. And if you don't want wisdom, she's still going to be crying out to you. And is that not like the Lord? The Lord is crying out to people that they would turn to him, that all that we would have to do to be saved is turn to him, is ask him, is seek him, knock, and it'll be open to you. Ask and you will receive, right? And I like what she says. She says, forsake foolishness and live. She's saying the first step to wisdom is just to forsake foolishness, to say my life, I am a fool. The things I do are foolish. The people I hang around with are obviously fools. So I need to forsake that. If I want to be wise, I can't keep hanging around with foolish people. If I want to be wise, I can't keep hanging around with foolish, I mean, doing foolish things. You know, I use the example, right? Like I, I think to myself, I would love to be big and fit and strong like the world's strongest man. 
But every time I think about going to work out, I don't work out. Or every time I pass the donuts, I think, ah, I'll just have another donut. So I'm never going to become the world's strongest man if I don't forsake the donuts. If I don't forsake the couch and go work out. And we could already, Pastor Vinny and I were talking the other day about these things. And it was kind of funny. You know, our bodies, there's a joke, our bodies are... Uh, are really just carrying our brains around and we want a nice, luxurious and soft and comfortable ride. So I don't watch what I eat. But, but the point is, it's the same thing with wisdom. If I want to be wise, I need to forsake the foolish things that I'm doing. And sometimes you don't even know what the wise thing to do is yet. All you know is the thing you keep doing is dumb. It's hurting you. It's hurting others. You're not getting anywhere. You're spinning your wheels. You don't know how to get out of it. Well, You might not know the right thing to do, but other than just leave the car in the mud and go call for help, right? That's the first way out of it. She says, forsake foolishness and live. And I like that again, because we looked at other things. What was the end of that immoral woman's house? Death. Who were the guests at her party? Death and dead people. And so there's a difference. If you want to have a life, and like Jesus says, a life abundantly, you can't be a fool at the same time. You can't have fellowship with light and darkness and expect to be in the light. There's lots of, you know, I was reading the other day, Jews, people are are corrupted saying that, that they know God, but their life doesn't show it at all. Or that they know the things of God or obeying God, but their life is full of foolishness and wickedness. He said, that's not the case. It can't be that way. So she says, do that if you want to live. If you want to really live, You have to get rid of foolishness in your life. Well, she also says, and go in the way of understanding. That if you forsake foolishness and you start seeking life, you'll go in the way of understanding. That there's a way in the road that says, yes, I understand that things can be foolish, things can be wise. I understand that things can be right and things can be wrong. I don't necessarily need to know that what is right yet, or what is wrong yet, or what is wise yet, or what is foolish yet. I just have to know that there is a way. And what did Jesus say about the way? He said, well, first of all, that he is the way, the truth, and the life, right? That the real wisest way is to follow God, to follow one who made it all. But that also the way is narrow, and few there are that find it. There are many people who have gone in the practical, wise ways of the world. If you think we said it before, if you apply God's commands... If you do the things that the scripture says is wise, you'll have a a pretty blessed life. You might have friends, you might have wealth, you might have uh, success in life, right? But if you don't follow the most wise thing of all, that's Jesus, and apply it to your spirit and go the wise way in your spirit, you will have death at the end of it all. And what does Solomon say? It's vain. You get all these things, but it's vain in the end. But the fact that the way of understanding is narrow, right? And the world wants you to go any which way but that one way now. They say that wisdom is in the fact that there is no truth. Wisdom is in the fact that there is no right or wrong, except the only wrong is saying that there is a right and wrong, right? The world wants the opposite of that. But we need to walk in that way. And sometimes it's going to be hard to find. But I tell you, when we find it, when we get a little down that path, it's like a breath of fresh air. It's like a little bit of wisdom. The same kid that I was talking to, he said, I realized how much money I was spending on coffee. And he didn't like it because he's working hard. He's making money now. And he says, I went and bought a milk frother at Target. (laughs) I invested in one. And he sent me a picture of the coffee. And he says, he's told me how much money he's saving versus buying this coffee all the time. 
And I said, now multiply that by 12. And like a light went off in his head. And he's like, that's a lot of money. He had already gone down there and he was so excited about it. But then he took it to the next step by seeing how much he would save in a year. And he's like, wow, how much, you know, I could have a whole fund. I could have a whole savings account from this. And yeah, we might think that that's silly, right? But how many things are silly to us that we just don't, we just, oh, it's just a couple bucks. Oh, it's just $4. Oh, it's just $5. But that adds up over and over and over again. I mean, don't talk to me about how much a bottle of soda is now and how many bottles I drink a year. I don't even want to think about that. <laughs> but sincerely, how many things in life are like that? That we're like, oh, I can't afford this. I can't do this. Well, maybe if you saw a cheaper cell phone plan, you might save 20 bucks. Oh, it's just 20 bucks. Well, if you got a cheaper cell phone plan and you bought the store brand of this, 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 and this, and you got a cheaper car or, you know, whatever the things are that are in life and you begin to whittle those down and, and try and make wise decisions in all these purchases, then you might find that you have this whole extra chunk of change. I mean, there comes a point too, you do all that and then you still run out of money, right? And it really comes down to, Lord, help me be wise with this. But at the same time, there's little simple things that sometimes we avoid to do when, man, those little simple things add up to bigger things. I think sometimes that applies to wisdom as a whole. We know all the little things to do. We just need to do them. And when we do them, we'll, have, we'll be going down that way of understanding. And each little time we do it, it's like a win. Every time I save a little bit of money or do something that feels a little wise and I get a success out of it, it's like I get energized by it, uh, even just in the practical. She goes on verse seven. She says, he who reproves a scorner gets shame for himself. And he who rebukes a wicked man gets hurt. Do not reprove a scorner lest he hate you. Rebuke a wise man and he will love you. Give instruction to a wise man and he will be yet wiser. Teach a just man and he will increase in learning. We'll stop there because Proverbs kind of goes both ways at two times. It says sometimes to correct the scorner and correct the fool and sometimes not to. So there's, there's a discernment there of even when to do it. But she says, if you reprove a scorner, you get shame for yourself, right? How many times has there been argument going on and there's someone who's scoffing and they'll just make fun of you or they'll say, how dare you talk about that? What right do you have? And they'll bring up something shameful that you've done in the past and it, it doesn't help you out. Or sometimes, you know, it's almost like casting your pearls before swine. The Bible says that this person's so foolish and they're scoffing and you try and genuinely help them out. You try and genuinely correct them and they just throw it back in your face. Or at the very least, they don't take the advice and they never were going to take the advice and you're just fooling yourself by trying to help them out. And it's wasted your time. It's wasted the words out of your mouth and they were never going to listen to anyone. Anyone watching you goes, kind of looks on and, and maybe even begins to think that your advice is foolish because they look at this other person and what they're doing in life and the way they treat you. But she says, I like this one. She says, and also, do not reprove a scorner lest he hates you. A lot of times, you try and explain something to someone who's not ready to hear it or not willing to hear it or their heart is hard and they'll just hate you for it. Like, you know, that relationship is bad for you. Why are you coming against me in my relationship? You know, drinking is not good for you. Well, that guy, I don't have a problem. Why don't you know? And they'll begin to hate you. And it, you know, there's probably another way you can minister to them without hitting the, the obvious thing on the head there. But I like the flip side of that, that, you know, this could be a wise man or wise woman, but she says, rebuke a wise man and he will love you. That if someone is wise and someone is seeking wisdom and you begin to correct them, you begin to instruct them, you begin to pour out wisdom in their life, 
they're going to love you for it, even if it hurts them, right? Like uh, the, the Bible says that the, uh, the kisses of an enemy are deceitful, but the wounds of a friend are faithful, right? That when someone you love and respect and care about corrects you, it's, very, it's like, oh, it hurts, but it's so good to know that they love you. You know that they love you. When you got food on your face and someone tells you, hey, you got broccoli in your teeth, you know they love you. You know, my, my family usually does that, but the other night they didn't do that. And I was like, why didn't you tell me? Does anybody love me? <laughs> I was talking for so long. But that's the same thing with a wise person, right? Even if they don't know you from a hole in the wall, if they're a wise person and you come up and correct them, They'll love you for it. They'll appreciate it. It's like, thank you. Even if they don't take the advice, you know, a lot of times people in Christian circles tend to think that they have the gift of advice and they'll come up and, like I said, not know you from a hole in the wall and begin to tell you everything you need to do. Well, if you're wise, you'll listen and say, thank you. I appreciate that. I will pray about that. And you'll say, Lord, is any of that worth it? <laughs> and sometimes it will be and sometimes it won't be. You know, I've said this story before, about getting saved and going on like a local, you know, we were doing an outreach and someone came up to me and asked me about school and said, you should like, I think the Lord would have you go back to school. And I think it was just, I'm a, I'm a young college age person. I had dropped out in their mind. The logical thing for me to do would be to go back to school. And in a practical sense, sure. That would make sense. If school was the only path and the right path to go to go do. Yeah. That would kind of make sense. But I said, okay, thank you. And I prayed about it and I prayed about it for a little while. And I looked into it a little bit and I just felt like the Lord leading me and showing me that's not the path I have for you. That maybe it would be the path for someone else. But for me, that's not what the Lord wanted for me. He wanted me to focus on church and ministry and uh, getting my life sorted out. And the wisest thing for me would be not to go back to school. Does that mean it's for everybody? I don't know, but um, that's the way it was. But a wise person is going to listen to that rebuke. Uh, uh, they will be wiser. That if you're wise and someone instructs you, well, what's wrong with that? You're going to get wiser. It's like if I'm rich and someone wants to give me $10 more, okay, I'll take the $10. Thank you very much. Why would I ever say no to that if my goal is to be rich? If people want to just give me money, of course I'll say, yeah, load it on up. Or, you know, in the same way. But somehow we get prideful when someone tries to give us a nugget of wisdom. Or sometimes we get prideful when someone wants to give us a gift. And well, if it's not corrupting you, take it, right? If it's corrupting you, then, you know, and it's a bribe, don't take it. But I think sometimes with wisdom, we don't like to hear that instruction and we need to be instructed by it. And teach a just, I like this word just man, you know, for a time, it'd be cool to do a study on it. But teach a just man and he will increase in learning. That's someone who is seeking the right things in life. Someone who wants the right thing to be done irregardless of how it affects them, they're going to increase in learning by it. That they see it as a justice being done to them. They're a right person. They're going right. They're going to want to hear the right way to do it. Um, and they should. And we would think all our politicians should be like that. That we elect them in the office and we say, hey, you're not doing a good job. They should say, oh, the people who elected me here don't want me to do this. Maybe I should do it. And unfortunately, a lot of times they only do that when they're up for re-election. Re that they get in and they do the things they really want to do when they're not able to be reelected anymore and they get paid off or bought off or do what they want. And that's a whole nother story. But when we get wisdom, when people correct us, we should always listen to it to some degree and take it um, for what it is. You know, 
It's been said, consider the source. Consider the source. But let's go on. Verse 10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. For by me your days will be multiplied, and the years of your life will be increased. If you are wise, you'll be wise for yourself. But if you scorn, you alone will bear it. And I really hope we didn't read this. I've read it so many times I can't tell if we've read it before. But I'm getting shakes, so no, we haven't read it. So that's good. But the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And the proverb says this in several places, I believe. That man, if we really want to be wise, like we said before, it's not just practical. It's always a spiritual root. And we were talking the other day about a lot of things with science and even with psychology. What they get wrong is they miss the spiritual root. Science will say that there is no spirit, that man is just the psyche, the mind, and chemicals and electronic impulses. And so when there's a depression issue, they try and fix the chemical impulses with more chemicals, with drugs. But a lot of times they're missing the spiritual component. I don't mean that you're possessed necessarily. You might be. But there might be a depression there from sin or from the guilt or from burdens that the Lord needs to take. And no amount of turning the lights off, you know, the check engine light, pulling the bulb doesn't fix the issue. You actually have to fix the issue in the engine. That's the same thing with with that. That, man, if, if we really want to be wise, we need to seek the spiritual things first, right? That God says that, Bodily exercise profits little, but godly exercise profits much. That we need to exercise ourselves unto godliness. Um, because what's going to live longer? Your body for 90 years, which we should to some degree take care of it, or your spirit, which lives for eternity. So which one would be better? Should I spend more of my time at the gym or more of my time at the Bible study? Should I spend more of my time at work or more of my time or put more of my time into heavenly things? Because... Do I want to buy things on earth or do I want to buy things in the heavenly economy? And that knowledge, uh, knowledge of the Holy One is understanding that even when we just acknowledge that there's a God, we all of a sudden get wiser. We all of a sudden have more understanding than those around us who would say there is no God, right? At least an agnostic is honest and says, I, mean, I don't know who God is, but I'm sure there is a God. Or an atheist says, there's not a God, I'm God. And she says in verse 11, for by me, your days will be multiplied. The years of your life will be increased. That, man, you do wise things, you're probably going to live a longer life. I mean, barring getting run over by a bus, right? Or getting sick from some disease that's outside your control. You're probably going to live longer. You're not going to jump off those cliffs like those other people. You're going to do wiser things. You're going to invest your money in better things so you don't die of a heart attack when the stock market collapses. You know, you're going to, you're going to do things and be prepared for things that the world is not prepared for. And even then, if you're doing wise things, you're going to have less of a burden on yourself. You'll probably be a happier person in your life. That even if you only live 30 years, it'll be a happier 30 years than someone who lives 60. And she says, if you are wise, you will be wise for yourself. But if you scorn, you alone will bear it. Again, the end of all this is, right, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make them drink. That even if you're super wise, you have no control over anyone else. You might be able to force them to do certain things, but you know you can't force anyone to become a Christian. You can't force anyone to make the right decision in life. You can try and lead them there. So in the end, it's really only a benefit for yourself, right? Like my kids benefit. My wife benefits from me being wise and they have a hurt for me being foolish, right? So it's not saying that there's no consequence to other people for your actions 
but it's saying that if I'm wise, at the end of the day, if I'm wise, it affects me. If I'm foolish, it affects me. And even in a selfish way, I should care about what it affects me. So what's better for me is to be wise. What's better for me is to do the right things. And, and if I do the right thing, I'm alone. I'm going to enjoy it the most. And if I do the wrong thing, I alone, am I going to have the burden of regret the most? Or, you know, if, if I go into massive debt and I don't pay it off, I'm the one who goes to jail, right? You know, and I don't want to do that. But let's go on. Here we go. Teaching my wife, my mother-in-law, and my mom all at the same time. And oh, I'm, glad, I'm glad you're behind the screen. <laughs> let's go on. Uh, but I'm also glad that you ladies are wise. So uh, let's go. And none of you are clamorous. So a foolish woman is clamorous. She is simple and knows nothing. For she sits at the door of her house on a seat in the high place of the city to, those, to call those who pass by, who go right on their way. It's very similar it's like this impersonation of wisdom in, earlier in the chapter. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. As for him who lacks understanding, she says to him, stolen waters are sweet and bread eaten in secret is pleasant, but he does not know that the dead are there and that her guests are in the depths of the grave. That wisdom cries out for the simple, for the foolish ones to come in and get wise because she is wise. She wants them to be wise. This foolish woman sits at her door. She's not standing up. She didn't prepare a table. She's just sitting there being lazy. And she calls for all the simple ones to come in and be simple and be stupid and be foolish with her at the same time, right? That, what's that saying? Misery loves company. I can remember doing bad things with friends and we'd want our other friends to do the bad things with us. Otherwise, the bad things weren't as much fun. And that's kind of what she's saying here. She's like, I don't want to do bad things. So come in here and be foolish with me and we'll do bad things together. Uh, and that's kind of the world. You know, we read in the, the New Testament about coming to faith and those people who look at us oddly because we don't do the same things they do anymore. And they're like, how come you don't do the bad things I don't do anymore? It takes away my fun out of it. But man, let's not be simple, right? Let's not be clamorous, loud, rambunctious, flamboyant. And right, not that you can't have a personality, not that voices can't be raised at the right times, not that you can't laugh out loud and have a good belly laugh and you know, the whole restaurant notices. But I think you know where I'm going. You can kind of compare the people that might seem a little, for lack of a better word, trashy than the people who are a little more upscale. And I say that with a grain of salt because there's a lot of people who dress nice. There's a lot of people with money. There's a lot of people who might not even say a bad word and are a good business acumen, but are trashier in morality than the people who are outwardly trashy, so to speak. So Take that with a grain of salt. But my point is, is that you can kind of see the people who are wild, the kind of people who say everything on their mind and, and are never calm and don't sit down and aren't peaceful and are just, you can kind of tell. And sometimes there's probably bad words you can think about some of these people, right? And that's a foolish person because a wide person is going to be a little more reserved. There's another verse saying you should always say it about Pastor Vinny while we're playing a game or having a, a deep theological discussion because he would sit back and listen. And Proverbs talks about that, that the person who does that is sometimes counted as wise. If you keep your mouth shut, people look at you and think you're wise somehow. There's just something to it. I remember saying that to him. He's like, it's not because I'm wise. It's because I have no idea what to say. <laughs> but that in itself is wise. If you don't have anything to say or don't know what to say, don't answer. Right? 
But she does that. She says, stolen waters are sweet and bread eaten in secret is pleasant. Sure is. You steal that last donut. Sometimes I'll come up and I'll sneak a cookie and I don't want the kids to see. And so I, cause then they'll all ask for cookies and then we run out of cookies and then I don't have cookies again. So I sneak a cookie, you know, in the afternoon or sometimes in the morning and I'll come up and grab it. And man, when I eat it in secret, there's a, oh, there's a joy to eating that cookie in secret. But then there's also like, uh, it also drains you and everything. But that's what it is. Sometimes doing those sinful things, doing those foolish things. Yeah, it's fun. Ooh, yeah. But the end of it is death. And it felt like fun. It felt like life for that minute. Can you flip that light on, please? But in that end, it's death. So let's not be her guest. Let's not be the guest of the foolish, clamorous woman. Let's have a a life-filled household, but not a clamorous household. What's up? Oh, it's not for them. It's for me, so I can read the page. (laughs) Thank you. They can see the light better now, but because it's backlit, I'm probably darker. All right, let's go on. Verse 10. The Proverbs of Solomon, right? So this is officially getting into his Proverbs. So again, I'm no expert on who wrote what, but at least now we know for sure that these are the Proverbs of Solomon. That maybe he was just passing on stuff he heard before. I don't know. But he says, A wise son makes a glad father, but a foolish son is the grief of his mother. And not that a dad can't be grieved or a a mom can't be glad. But man, I tell you, when my son does a wise thing, when my son prays, when my son reads the Bible, when my son runs to do a chore, when my son draws something amazing or shows me some new skill or something he's been working on, and I see him becoming wise and shooting the bow and arrow or kicking and jumping outside, or when he puts his toys away, that makes me so glad. Because I'm like, oh, there's such a deep joy of my son doing wise things. And when he doesn't, Jacob, <laughs> you know, how many times do I got to tell you, it doesn't make me glad, right? And I, I'd much rather be like, yes, great job, son, than have to scold him, right? And the same thing with a son, a mom, a foolish son is the grief of his mother. You think about a son, maybe a teenager who's out doing foolish things and wasting his money, he's wasting his life, and his mom is just at home, worried. When is he, he hasn't called, is he coming home? I don't know what he's doing. He's going to get in trouble. And it's just grieving his mom. You know, probably my mom all throughout my, my teenage years and early 20s, right? And not that a dad wouldn't be worried too, but I feel like a dad would be like, when he gets home, I'm going to smack him upside the head. <laughs> While mom's like, where's my boy? Oh, no. You know that there's this difference in the heart there. And the same thing with daughters too. I love seeing my daughters do wise things. And when they don't, I'm like, you know better. <laughs> And then the Lord's like, so do you. (laughs) So be wise. Be wise. It's good for you and it's good for your parents. Uh, Verse 2. Treasures of wickedness profit nothing, but righteousness delivers from death. And I think Solomon knew something about having treasure. He was ultra rich. Richer than Elon Musk, relatively, I believe. But they profit nothing. Now, you could have all these treasures, but you're not better off for it. You know, I was thinking the other day... uh, about the proverb that the the wicked flee when no one pursues, right? That you've got all this, you've done the wrong thing. And so you always think you're being chased, whether you are or not. And that's the same thing with treasures of wickedness. You've got all this treasure, but you can't truly enjoy it. And enjoying it just makes you worse off, right? What did, um, uh, not, was it Zacchaeus? When he came to faith, he said he'd pay back four times what he sold. You know, he had all this 
profit, this treasure from wickedness of cheating his own people. And he got saved and said, I'm going to pay everybody back. I'm going to pay them back more than I took from them because the profit wasn't worth it to him. It wasn't worth him to have that. And righteousness delivers from death. That, man, there's always a way out for our sin, from our sin. That there's always a path out. And, and if you want to be delivered from death, do the right thing. Do the right thing. And sometimes doing the right thing will deliver you to death. But that's another story. Verse 3, The Lord would not allow the soul of the righteous to famish, and he cast away the desire of the wicked. And we might say this one, well, does that mean that I'll never be poor? That I'll never be famished? Well, he says the soul of the righteous to famish. Right? And sometimes the Lord might allow you to be like Paul, shipwrecked, naked, poor, beaten, left for dead. But Paul, in those times, Paul knew the Lord more. That there's times when we come to know the Lord, that man, my soul might be famished. I might not have any friends, but man, in that time, when my friends have forsaken me or whatever the case is, there's a, if I seek the Lord, I could be, oh, I don't have any friends. I don't have this and I don't have that. I remember first getting saved and eventually my friends didn't want to hang out with me and I hadn't made a lot of new friends at church yet and coming home from church and just driving home and get off the exit again and be like, oh Lord, I'm so lonely. I'm so bored. I just, I really want good friends, but no one's asked me to hang out yet and, and, and I wasn't going to like interject. And I remember just during that time being really lonely for a season. But in that season, I sought the Lord and I knew I got to know the Lord better and he worked out things in my life. And then all of a sudden people started inviting me to places. Then I had so many friends, I didn't have any loan time anymore. But in that season, I let it turn me to the Lord. Um, you know, he let it turn me to him. And he cast away the desire of the wicked. That as people are wicked and they seek after things. I mean, look at all these rich movie stars that they have everything they want. And yet they, you know, they want all these relationships and they can never have a steady one. You know, they want all this happiness and fame, but then they, they go crazy because people don't leave them alone, right? They have this desire for want, for acceptance, but they never quite get it, no matter how much they get. And they're unhappy. And some are. I'm sure there's some out there laughing all the way to the bank, right? But at the end, of, you know, they're seeking life at the end of the day. They won't have it. And he says, verse 4, He who becomes poor deals with a slack hand, but the hand of the diligent makes rich. That Solomon says, if, if you're lazy, your money is just going to go away, right? You might have a thousand bucks in the bank, but if you decide not to go to work next week and just go out and party, go to Vegas, go to a movie, get expensive dinners, you don't really understand the value of money, you're going to spend it all and be poor. Because instead of being um, responsible, instead of working hard to make more money, you ran out. And he says, the hand of the diligent makes rich. That you keep working, you keep working hard, you'll have money, right? If you do the right thing, you know, there's always circumstances where people work hard and can be poor, right? There's, there's a whole spectrum there. But for the overall, you know, this is capitalism in a sense. I mean, I'm not going to get into that whole argument. You know, the pros and cons, there's always things there. But if you work, it's a good thing. It's a godly thing. If you work hard, it's a godly thing, right? You don't want to work so hard that you never sleep, you never see your family. But if you work, you'll profit. That's, you know, I'm looking at this car outside. I was telling Mia, there's all these little things wrong with it. And we're slowly getting through them all and it's starting to come together and it's rewarding. But I'm like, all this stuff didn't happen at once. This little thing broke, then this little thing, then this little thing, and this little thing, and that little thing, and that little thing. And soon the car turns into a pile of junk. And then they don't want it anymore. Then they don't get paid for it. And so I'm hoping that with just a little bit of elbow grease and a couple parts, I can put it back together and make a little bit of money off it. Is it going to be a windfall and we're going to go to Hawaii off it? No, 
but it's uh, something fun to do and I can make something out of it. And that's, if they had just taken care of it from the start, it never would have lost as much value. And that's the same thing that, man, when we know how hard, uh, the, the value of hard work and how much money you get paid. I mean, you can remember your first paycheck and seeing taxes come out. And you're like, I worked so hard. I, I did the math. I worked 40 hours for a dollar an hour and I should have $40. You can come home with $18 because the taxes were like, that's a, that's a hard lesson. But man, people who never have to work a day in their life don't get that. Don't understand that. You know, I remember doing construction for the first time and really learning a, a value of a dollar for a couple of weeks. And I said, I got to find a job on a computer again. <laughs> this is hard. Verse five, we'll try and get through this. We got a lot. I don't think we're going to get through all the way through 10. Uh, he who gathers in summer is a wise son, but he who sleeps in harvest is a son who causes shame. That again, if you're wise, you're going to harvest when it's harvest time. You're going to gather the stuff out while the weather is good, while it's nice out, right? Oh, we've got some yard work left to do, some cleanup. We built a chicken coop, but it's nice out. We should not be doing that in January. It would be awful. We're doing it now before the winter comes. We're going to clean up the yard before the winter comes. When it's time to do work, we should work. When it's time to sleep, we should sleep. It's wise. But he who sleeps in during harvest is a son who causes shame. That man, if I got to go out in the field and Jacob's in here sleeping and me is in here sleeping and Timmy's the only one out there working, it's going to be frustrating. I'm like, son, like we did all this work. Why do you think you're going to eat? <laughs> right? And not that you would do that. You'd be out there helping me. But man, there's a difference. There's a shame there. There's a, there's a deficit there that as a family, we all need to pitch in and do things together. Um, and, you know, I think about, you know, I, I joke with Jake about like, do you pay the electric bill? And he goes, nope. But he goes and turns off the light, right? And, uh, and he was joking the other day. He's like, he was in here. I think he said something like, oh man, I don't pay the electric bill. And he goes and turns off the light. I didn't say a thing to him, right? That they're understanding that, man, as they do chores, they get allowance. And, and that we're all a family and there's six of us and we all have to, to pitch in and clean up and do the dishes and take out the trash because that's just the way it works. Otherwise, someone's taking advantage of the other. Uh, blessings are on the head of the just, but violence covers the mouth of the wicked. And the memory of the just is blessed, but the name of the wicked will rot. Man, that, man to have memories, good memories of, of people that we love because they were just. But man, if, if you think about the, a person who's got a bad name, you don't even like to say it. Like some of these politicians, I don't even like to say it. But after they're dead and gone, you're like, yes, they're dead and gone. But the people who are alive, I mean, who are gone, who were a joy, who were a blessing, it's like, oh man, I miss them. You know, their memory lasts and lives on uh, with or without a statue. And I think we all want to be those people that when we pass on, our kids remember us fondly. You know, I've heard... Pastors are like, I really had to struggle to look for something good to say about this person. Or their family didn't have anything good to say about them at their funeral. I hope that's not any of us. It says, the wise in heart will receive commandments, but a prating fool will fall. And he who walks uprightly walks surely, but he who perverts his ways will be known. He who winks with the eye causes sorrow, but a prating fool will fall. That man, uh, fools, they'll fall, they'll, be some, they'll fall right into the pit right in front of them because they're not looking around, because they're not taking wise. They think it won't happen to them. It can't happen to them. They know better, and they end up falling in it. But a wicked, a wise person will receive those, those instructions. Um, you know, and again, you know, if you want a sure way in life, if you want to make sure your life is going the right way, do the right thing. 
and do the wise thing and you'll be confident in it. You know, there's nothing worse than stepping out, especially in something big like moving or taking a new job or getting in a relationship. If you're unsure if it's the right thing to do or not, you know, you don't feel at home there. But if you know it's the right thing, it's the wise thing, it's a good thing, it's from the Lord, and you step out in it, no matter what comes your way, you're going to go, I know the Lord's got me in this, and it's, it's good. My footing is sure. It says, he who winks with the eye causes sorrow. And that doesn't mean like you can't wink. Like my kids and I wink all the time, a joke, right? But if someone's like winking, like trying to pull someone over on something, someone, you know, that's, it just, tricksters are, are tricksters, and they, they really hurt other people. But the mouth of the righteous man is a well of life, but violence covers the mouth of the wicked. That man, no matter what a wicked person does or a person does, if their actions, you know, they say actions speak louder than words, it covers up anything you say. I remember before getting saved, trying to, you know, I've been reading the Bible and like a week before I got saved and like sharing with this person the stuff about the Bible. And they said to me, like, you were just doing the same thing I was doing. (laughs) You're going the same place I'm going. We're both going to hell. <laughs> you know, like this rebuke. And it hit me and the Lord used that with me that the wickedness I was doing was negating anything I was saying, right? Um, and hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all of sins. And we'll stop here. And man, when we hate someone, when there's hatred involved, there's unforgiveness involved, we love to stir things up. We love to stir up a fight. You know, when a couple is not being loving, not being forgiving, they love to poke and prod and stick and get things going. It's like, just let it go. Just let love cover that up and deal with it later. Just They poked you, okay, love and walk away or love and not deal with it. But man, you want to you be prideful and you want to keep poking back and jabbing. Hatred stirs up those fights. When I can remember going to a Rangers-Islanders game out in Long Island as a kid, and Rangers Islanders fans, if you know anything about it, hate each other. <laughs> same thing with Rangers. Same thing with any team in the Northeast. They all just hate each other. They don't wear the wrong jersey or the wrong game. You know, you'll get stuff thrown at you. You'll get punched. You'll get things poured on you. But a fight broke out in the stadium, and I'm sure it's because <laughs> the Islanders fans hate the Rangers fans. They love the, you know, your guy stinks. You stink. You know, and they get worse and worse and worse until they actually fight it because they hate each other. It stirs it up. But love covers all sins. That doesn't mean that love makes an excuse. It doesn't mean that love turns a blind eye when you have to call the cops at some point. But what that means is that, man, I would even says it's the glory of kings to, to kind of do that as well, right? To overlook a matter. That, man, if you love someone and they hurt you once, they hurt you twice, or they say something sharp, or they want to start a fight with you, that you're, you would rather, because you love them, you'd rather cover it up. You'd rather cover that sin up. You'd rather let it pass. You'd rather give them the benefit of the doubt. Now, that doesn't mean if it becomes a pattern. It doesn't mean that if there's an issue that needs to be resolved, you don't talk about it. You don't deal with it. But man, the heart of love is that there be always be reconciliation. And sometimes that's not possible. Sometimes that person is a scorner and you want to be reconciled and correct them in an issue and they won't hear it and they won't do it and they hate you for it. And as much as you'd want to have a relationship with them, you can't because they're unwilling to seek the truth and they're literally hell-bent in their own foolish ways right but at the same time it's like man like it's going to cause you to not gossip so you're like you hear what so-and-so said about you okay that's fine you know you know maybe they got a reason for it you know you're going to want to cover that up because you love it isn't that what the lord does for us right he doesn't treat us as our sins deserve it doesn't mean that one day if we don't turn to him 
We're not going to send ourselves to hell, so to speak, and he's not going to have to judge us because we didn't choose Jesus. It doesn't mean that he's not going to send correction in our life, a saint to correct us, a Bible verse to convict us, or a deer to jump in front of your car and dent your hood to tell you to stop going there, right? But at the same time, you know, he loves us so much that he's willing to try and not expose it until it absolutely has to be exposed. And there's times when it does have to be. You know, things couldn't be covered up forever. They go sour. They go bad that way. Uh, but it doesn't mean that the first time someone wrongs you, you're going to post on Facebook about it. That's, that's stirring up strife. And I think, I think we all follow where we're going with there, that the love wants reconciliation, but hate wants division. And God says, don't be those who, divide, who sowed seeds of division. So God, thank you for your word. Thank you that you do cover our sins and you covered it with your blood. But at the same time, you want to hold us accountable for them and say, hey, you got to confess it. You got to deal with it. You got to forsake them and live. And God, help us to forsake our sin. Help us to put off the old man and put on the new. God, help us to forsake foolish ways in life, Lord, that when you're guiding and leading us and, and prompting us, when we know the right thing to do, that we would choose it and do it and, and stop being so foolish. We have, we really have no excuse to be foolish as your children, God. We really have no excuse to not be observant and discerning as your children, um, especially if we've walked with you for any amount of time, Lord. Um, not that we're perfect or that we'll ever have it perfect, but we need to keep ourselves on that path and, and help us be corrected by your word and want to seek that wisdom out every day and not be content sitting back uh, and being foolish and sleeping during harvest. Because God, you said the harvest is plentiful and the labors are few. Pray that you would send labors and in, labors into the harvest, God. So we pray that you would send us, you would send us to start churches, to evangelize, to minister, to uh, even be missionaries, maybe even sell our house and go move to Southeast Asia or South America or Patterson, New Jersey, wherever it is you would call us to go to do ministry. God, to come alongside, to come alongside others in ministry, to come alongside others who need the ministry. Uh, God, that they would uh, be harvested by you. They would come to the knowledge of the truth. Um, and that comes by the hearing of God, hearing of your word, God. So would you send us forth, send us out, and uh, God, let your word not return void in these last days. We love you, God. Thank you for this time together and everyone who listened. And God, just strike my words away and let your words stick. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. So may God bless you and keep you and his face shine upon you. And we'll pick back up in verse 13 next week. There is a vineyard of the Lord. There is a vineyard for our soul. With all our troubles left behind the door, we drink first light of